Many, many years ago, there was a television show that our kids would watch. It was called Sesame Street. And I don't watch it anymore. I'm old. I don't need to watch it anymore. However, I have a nephew. And I'm not allowed to tell you what he does for a living. Let me just tell you that he knows Big Bird really, really well. You might even be able to say that my nephew knows Big Bird from the inside out. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay. And in on his honor and in honor of the television show Sesame Street, let me tell you that today's sermon is brought to you by the letters S and the letter W and by the number 17. Okay, so remember that. The sermon today is brought to you by the letters S and W and the number 17. Let's go ahead and first turn. Hey, Mariah, how you doing, sweetie? Proverbs. She didn't even pay any attention. Proverbs 17. Turn with me, if you will. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit. Open up your Bibles. Follow along with me. We're just reading one verse out of Proverbs 17. Excuse me. Better. This is verse 1. Of Proverbs 17. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Isn't that an interesting verse? Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And as I reflected on those that one those words, that one verse, I honestly was led to think about. Thanksgiving. We're only a week and a half away. However, sometimes I go through the celebration of Thanksgiving. And when it's all said and done, I just feel like it was just an exercise in futility. Because it, it wasn't a day of focusing on God or thanking God or spending time with God. It was just craziness. And sometimes you're forced to be with people you don't necessarily want to be with because they're family. And you'd much rather be with other people. But, you know, you got to get together with family at Thanksgiving. And, and as I was reflecting on that verse, I thought, well, God, what if, if indeed this is for me? Because, I, I mean, I was trying to discern, is this something for me? Is this something as a sermon? Is it just simply a word that you're giving me for future? I don't know. As I reflected on it, I was like, if it was for me, what do I need to do, God, to get myself ready so that in a week and a half when I go through Thanksgiving, it's not just this crazy day of business and and hosting and having people in my house and and food, but that I can actually lay my head on my pillow that night and feel like I actually spent time thanking you. And worshiping you and spending time with you. Uh, These words, it says, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And as I thought of the word quiet, I was reflecting on that. And I thought, what could I do to prepare my heart? And this is where the word, the letter S comes in. There are two spiritual disciplines that start with the letter S. There are other spiritual disciplines, but there are two specifically that I've been thinking about in relation to these words. The word, the, the discipline of silence and the discipline of solitude. 
Now, I have tried over the last 24 hours or so, maybe 36 hours, to in some way practice the spiritual discipline of silence. What, that, what I mean by that is this. I am a person who cannot stay in a completely quiet space without discomfort because I struggle with what's called tinnitus. I have ringing in the ears. So if I'm in a space that is completely silent, I'm hearing what I'm hearing right now because I'm aware of it because I'm talking about it. This constant that just goes on in my head all the time. I don't know if it's in my head or if it literally is in my ears, but there's there's been damage to my hearing because of exposure to high noises. And the end result is this constant ringing in my ears. So I struggle to be in a silent, quiet space. So with the intentionality of trying to practice silence, I normally I'm silent, but I have music going. And the Lord was like, that's not silence, Bob. And the silence is actually allowing nothing to be going on. No outside stimulation, no radio, record player, television, nothing. And just being in a quiet Putting yourself in a place where you're quiet before God so that you can hear that still small voice of God. Then the idea of solitude. It kind of goes hand in hand because silence normally doesn't happen when other people are around. Number two, solitude, you don't have the opportunity for being distracted when other people are around. So if I pull myself away and I am silent, and alone and intentionally trying to listen for God, there is a greater opportunity for God to actually get my attention. So as I was reflecting on all of that, thinking, okay, God, these words better a dry morsel with quiet silence and solitude than a house full of stri- uh, of, uh, of feasting with strife. Are you calling me to not have people in my world for Thanksgiving? And that's not what I was hearing. What I was hearing was God was saying, you need to prepare your heart for the craziness that's coming by spending some time with me. So that your, so that your well is filled up. Or the cistern, if you will. So that you're ready. Because I also, for those of you who ever deal with, with personality types, I am smack dab in the middle when it comes to extrovert versus introvert. Literally, every time I test out, I'm right at the, at the that middle point. So I can do really well in a crowd of people, but I have to have some alone time. And I can do fine when I'm alone and recharge, but I miss being with people. So I'm, I'm right in the middle. So I have to prepare myself for this eventual craziness that's coming in a week and a half. By getting myself alone with God now and filling up with his spirit. This S for me, the solace, the solitude and the silence. But then there was the W and I was like, what is that, God? What is this W? And he very clearly gave me an image and it's not it's not out of 17, which would have been really cool if I could have made it all tie together with the number 17 because Proverbs 17 is where this whole thing started. 
So I was like, oh, will it be somewhere in the Gospels in chapter 17? No, it's not. It's in chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. And it's verse 37. It's so cool. John chapter 7, verse 37. What this is, is Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is attending one of the mandatory feasts that all Jewish men are required to attend. It's the Feast of Sukkot or the Feast of Booths. It takes place at the harvest time. And Jesus, well, excuse me, back, backing this up. This feast is, is uh, eight days long, seven days long. And the way it works is every single day, one of the priests walks from the temple carrying a, a pitcher which holds about a liter of, of, uh, of, flu, of fluid. It's about the size of this, a little bit bigger than this jug. This holds 32 ounces. A liter is maybe one and a half, two thirds, I mean, two times this. I'm not sure exactly, but the bottom line is it's in this general idea. And he carries this empty jug down through the streets of Jerusalem to the Pool of Siloam. What is significant about the Pool of Siloam? It's a place of healing. It's the place where if the angel troubles the waters and you're the first one to get down into the water, you can be healed of whatever malady you have. And there's all these people trying to beat the other person down so that they can get in first. And that's where Jesus did the healing of the man who'd been born blind in John chapter 9. But we're in John chapter 7. Jesus is at the te- at, in Jerusalem at the Feast of, of, of Booths. And every morning the priest has gone down with this liter-sized jug and gone down and dipped up a liter of water and walked back with the crowds following back to the temple and gone to the western side of the altar and poured out the water into us. This is a gold pitcher poured it into a silver tray and the silver tray has holes in the bottom. So as he pours it out on the western side of the uh, of the altar, it hits the tray and then it, it kind of rains out and then it just flows away. And it's a daily thing during this festival. They have to do it every single morning and the water just flows away. And it says in verse 37 of chapter 7 of Gospel of John, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, Hey, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying the practices that you're engaged in are not long lasting because this is not how it was meant to be. You're meant to be in relationship with the Father. And the only way you can come to the Father is through me. And the promise of the Father is when you're in right relationship with the Father, he will pour out his spirit on you. And literally rivers of living water will flow through you out to the world. Because if you look at what John said in his gospel, immediately after quoting Jesus, look at verse 39. It says, John then says to the to the reader. Now, this Jesus said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what John is saying in his gospel 
in relaying this story about Jesus at the Festival of Booths is that Jesus was making a pronouncement. God is offering to you rivers of living water flowing out of you by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God being with you, which will be poured out on you in the coming days. And I was like, this is really cool, God, but how does it tie in with Proverbs 17? And the Lord said, what's the story that this is referring to? And I was like, I don't know. So I read and the, this whole imagery of the priest walking down to Pool of Siloam and dipping up a liter of water and bringing it back and pouring it out, it is all in commemoration of the giving of the water by God at the rock known as Horeb in the story of the Exodus. And guess what chapter that story's found in? 17 of Exodus. So let's turn there. Exodus chapter 17. Now I've already read it to the kids. I didn't read it to the kids, but I relayed it to the kids this morning. But Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 through 7. The Israelites are thirsty. They're in a part of the world where there's not any water. They're freaking out. They're coming to their leader saying, give us something to drink. And Moses literally says to them, why are you bringing up a quarrel with me? Why do you grumble against me? Why did you bring, and then saying, why do you bring us out here to kill you and kill your livestock with thirst? And so Moses cries out to the Lord, God, what do I do with these people? They're ready to kill me. And then the Lord gave him very clear instructions. And so he walked over and did exactly what God told him to do. He gathered the leaders and elders of the people of Israel. They walked over to the rock And he called the name, excuse me, and Moses did in the sight of the elders in Israel. He literally struck the rock and out came water and the people were able to drink. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story. Did you know if you look up the water, look up the phrase water from the rock in a search engine, it'll come up with Exodus chapter 17. But it also comes up with Numbers chapter 20. So let's look at that one. Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 through 9. Excuse me, 2 through 13. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord out into the wilderness that we should die here, both us and our cattle. Why have you made us come up out of Egypt and bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, the thing you need to understand before we go any farther, this is not the same thing that happened in Exodus 17. This is a different location. Kind of stupid that the people of Israel would be facing exactly the same scenario and responding in exactly the same way. They already saw God provide for them out of the rock. 
in an area where there was no evidence of water, where the only evidence that they had was that they were going to die of thirst. They came to their leader. Their leader went before God. God gave very, very clear instructions. They walked over, did exactly what God told them to do, and God provided enough water to sustain the nation of the of, of Israelites, all of their animals, for another period of time until they came to the next oasis. But now they're facing exactly the same scenario. And their response is exactly the same as it was before. Why you bring us here to die? So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly and they walked to the entrance of the tent of meeting and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock. Listen to what it says. Tell the rock before your their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and to their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as God commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, listen to his words. Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy." What were God's clear instructions to Moses? Go with the people, stand before the rock and speak to it. And I will pour forth water for the nation and I will receive glory. And Moses grabs up the staff and walks out and says, you stinking rebels. You want water? Fine. There's your water. He didn't give God glory. He didn't listen clearly to what God told him to do. He didn't follow the instructions. Literally, in his own power and in his own strength, boom, boom, brought the water. Shall I bring water forth for you? Fine. There's your water. And he walks back to the tabernacle and he puts the staff in place. And God's like, excuse me. We got a problem here. And there was no amount of pleading that could be done at that point. Moses ended up dying. Aaron ended up dying before their foot stepped into the promised land because of their rebellion and their inappropriate act in dishonoring God. But what does all of this have to do with the number 17 and the letters S and W? Let's move on to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, and then it goes back to verse 7, kind of relating to the gospel story of chapter 7, verse 37. Now this is 17, 7. 
the number seven throughout this whole, maybe it was the number seven, not the number 17, I don't know. But anyway, let's read 17.7 in the book of Jeremiah. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, is the one who will no longer have to fear when chaos and heat and turmoil and drought come. Because there will always be fruit. Because they will be, quote unquote, tapped into the source of water. Which goes right back to what Jesus was saying in the gospel. If you will come to me, my father will pour out his spirit on you. And from you will flow rivers of living water. Which then John identified to us as the Spirit of God. So the sermon this morning is brought to you by the letters S and W and the number 17. But what is the message you're supposed to carry out of here? And the message you're supposed to carry out of here, at least the one I'm carrying with me, is solitude. And silence will bring forth spirit, which is nourishing water, which provides life. So that when you are among strife, because it's Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and the craziness of the world is going on around you, you will have that source of life flowing from you because you are intentionally Planted by the river. Your roots are going deep into the soil and able to collect the nourishing flow of water so that there is no fear, there is no anxiety. You will be able to produce fruit even in a drought. So when you're in the midst, when you're in the midst of all the craziness, you will still be able to speak words of life to those around you because you'll have that flow. You'll have that, that, that river flowing from you. And that's the message of the Lord. Thanks be to God.